BBC Radio Cleveland, Will Banks, in for Alex all this week uh, while she takes a holiday. Now, I have in my hands uh, a very smart-looking book. Uh, it's called A Course in Astral Travel and Dreams, uh, and it's written by Mark Pritchard, and he joins us uh, on the phone today. Uh, good morning to you. Morning, Will. Uh, now, what we'll do is we'll start at the very beginning here because I've uh, had a quick uh, look through the book. I've uh, I've, I've read uh, what you have uh, on uh, the, the cover of the book itself, uh, what uh, information I have about you, uh, and I have to admit that it's something I know uh, not a lot about at all. Uh, astral travel, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences. Um, you are uh, renowned for your expertise on this, but uh, I have to say it's a, it's a subject that uh, really I know very little about. So start from the beginning uh, and explain. Explain, if you will, uh, about what it is that you do. Well, one of the things I do is to study out-of-body experiences, uh, and that includes astral travel, um, lucid dreams, etc. And what they are, uh, well, experiences of being outside of the body, as the name suggests. And they're things that we do every single night when we go to sleep. So whenever we dream, we actually leave our bodies behind. Um, you can prove this by being clear where you are, being waking up in a dream. Uh, you can prove this by projecting uh, into the astral dimension. And you can prove this by having a near-death experience. So all of these uh, go into the same place. Okay, so we all um, have experienced a, a very vivid dream, one that's maybe woken us up. Uh, oftentimes uh, we've been woken up because it's a, a disturbing dream, perhaps. Uh, al although, um, I mean, I, I know I've, I've woken up out of dreams uh, just because they've been so very vivid. Uh, are you talking about actually kind of understanding these and being more aware of them? Yeah, it's useful to understand them and to become more aware of them and to understand the process which is taking place when we are dreaming. But with astral travel and out-of-body experiences, what we're really talking about is being aware that you are in a dream, aware that you are in a different place than we are now. So, uh, you know, that's a step further than dreaming. Okay, so um, from what I understand, uh, you're um, saying that uh, a near-death experience is one example of a particularly vivid uh, out-of-body experience. Yes, that's right. Um, so so t tell us a little bit more about that, because I know people are fascinated by these uh, near-death experiences. The, the, the kind of uh, traditional one, if you like, is the light at the end of the tunnel, which people claim to have seen. Yes, well, uh, near-death experiences are quite common, relatively. About one in ten people who, who die have a near-death experience. And they take place at the moment that the the body is dead. It's not uh, a dying experience where the body is shutting down, nor is it a revival experience where the body is coming back. They're the experiences which take place when the body is actually dead. And during those times, uh, that 10% of people uh, experience being out of their body, sometimes seeing their body lying down in an operating table or wherever it's died. They, they travel a little bit, they go into this light, and then for one reason or another, they come back to their body and they, they start their life over again. So presumably it uh, makes sense uh, that if you are going to have a near-death experience, you have to be near-death. So it's something that not all of us are going to experience uh, because uh, in only a select number of cases are you going to be that close to death uh, and then come back from it. Yeah, that's right. You actually have to die to have a near-death experience. Near-death is not quite the true term. It's, it's being dead. 
that's when you get a near-death experience. So, you know, we're not really going to find out about that just now, hopefully. Presumably it's quite difficult to, um, to, to examine this uh, phenomenon because uh, of the, 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 the scarce number of cases uh, that you are able to kind of uh, draw on. Well, it's not so much the number of cases because uh, it's estimated about 8 million American people, people have had a near-death experience. It's more the, the type of testing we would do in science to find out about these things. That's, that's a difficulty because what do you do with a body that's dead? How are you going to test that? There's no responses to it. That's the reason why it's so difficult to, uh, to explain about it. Uh, that's one thing I, I wanted to talk about because um, obviously uh, you will find uh, that with something like this you're always going to have uh, people who are sceptical of it and, and, and part of that is uh, through science because um, uh, science, the way that, that we understand science, um, is, is uh, backed up by a burden of proof. You have to be able to prove something in order for it to be passed as scientific fact, if you like. Uh, and I wonder, um, is it something that, that you find is a battle to be able to prove um, uh, something that, that people might be ready to believe in, but there might not necessarily be that absolute proof of it? Yes, because uh, the way that uh, science works at the moment, you can't get proof for it. All you can get are accounts. But there are lots of scientists now who are getting together and who are trying to look in a different way to try to understand these, these phenomena. But uh, the accounts can be very, very compelling. For example, a woman who died on the operating table in intensive care, uh, she gave an account of how she came out of her body, went uh, to the roof of the hospital, saw a red shoe up on the roof, uh, came back to her body, was revived, and then uh, told the staff about the shoe. The staff went up to the top of the roof and uh, looked, found the red shoe, and it was impossible to see that shoe from the ground. You had to be in the air to see that shoe. And there are lots and lots of, of cases like that, and we really we call them pretty compelling evidence, but in scientific terms there's no explanation, and therefore they say there's no evidence for it. But I think there is evidence, and you can actually go further to look for evidence by exploring out-of-body experiences, which is really the next step to take. Now, uh, presumably then, uh, the out-of-body experience is something you feel that uh, people can uh, try for themselves, uh, because obviously uh, you can't try a near-death experience very easily, uh, because as we've said already, you've, you've got to be, uh, like you say, uh, clinically dead to do it, probably not advisable. But an out-of-body experience is something that you can have. Out-of-body experience is something that we do have every night when we go to sleep. It's just that we're not aware of it. But you can have a conscious out-of-body experience uh, where you lift out of your body, you know, the classic out-of-body experience, by learning how to do it. It's, it's a matter of training yourself to do it. Uh, which is obviously something that you're, you're closely involved in. But, but why, would, why would somebody want to do that? What, what, what's it for, um, how, um, being aware of an out-of-body experience? Well, imagine that you come out of your body. You've laid down, you've gone to sleep, and you started a lift out of your body. You get up, you're in the room, you're looking around, and you're in a completely different place, completely different dimension. What's this going to do to you? What are you going to think? What's it going to make you feel? And, and how are you going to question your whole view of the world? And if you think about death, I mean, that's a long time, isn't it, compared to how long we're alive for? And it's a really, really important issue which is facing every single person. 
So out-of-body experiences, I think, are a really important way to discover what's going on in life. So is it, are you saying then that maybe it's, it's a way of, of coming to terms with the fact that at some point you will have to face death? Yeah, well, we, we have to come to terms with that, really. We have to face the fact that we're going to face death. And, uh, well, do we want to find out about it? We can uh, read what people say about it. We can believe in something or other. Or we can go and experience the place where the dead people go. And we can actually see dead people. Uh, now, another thing that uh, that, that I'm, I'm particularly interested in uh, from having read uh, the, the information uh, about you and about the book uh, is the, the relationship that just everyday dreams have uh, to, to this, this uh, sense of out-of-body experience uh, and how you can kind of um, understand better your dreams. Because we all have dreams that uh, we, we might not uh, all have recognized, like you say, that we've had experience but we've certainly all recognized the fact that we've we've woken up from a very vivid dream uh, and uh, are you um saying that, that you can kind of analyze uh, your dream and, and have some understanding of what it's trying to say to you yes definitely you can you can analyze your dreams and look into them and try to understand what it means and often intuition is a good guide to this sometimes it's your best guide but uh, if people are having various um, dreams which have meanings, we can find that there's a common symbology that, that uh, we can find around the world. And uh, where is that symbology coming from? Who is putting these dreams? How do they appear? You see, again, we can't go that far with science. But we can go that far with a personal, uh, you could say, investigation out of the body to the place where dreams occur. And there we can find the, the root meaning of these symbols, which we will also find in different symbols, uh, sorry, different religions, different myths, and so on around the world. Okay, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, if, if you're willing to, uh, it would be very interesting to open the lines on this, because I know there are a lot of people who are very interested in this. We've already had some calls this morning. Uh, I think we've, we've uh, had a call from somebody who believes that they may have had a near-death experience and um, maybe would like your take on that. Uh, and also, of, of course, people who've uh, had dreams or, or maybe um, feel they've had these out-of-body experiences that, that you could uh, offer some advice or shed some light on. So uh, if you're willing to do that, we'll take a, a quick breather for a, a bit of music and then we'll come back. And and uh, hopefully people can uh, put their questions uh, directly to you. Uh, so if you have a question that you would like to put to, to uh, Mark Pritchard, uh, then give us a call now, 01642 225511. Uh, do you uh, feel like you have had an out-of-body experience? Do you have some a dream that maybe keeps coming back that you just don't understand? You'd like some advice on it? You'd like maybe a bit of explanation? Uh, or would you like to ask Mark a question about the work that he does? Uh, give us a call now, 01642 uh, 225511, and we'll be right back uh, with Mark and with your calls uh, after Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warns and Up Where We Belong. It's BBC Radio Cleveland, just gone 20 past 11 now. It is Will in Phallics all this week, and uh, I'm joined uh, at the moment by Mark Pritchard. He's the author of A Course in Astral Travel and Dreams. Uh, I have a copy of it uh, with me uh, in the studio here. In fact, we have two copies of it uh, to give away. We'll uh, work out how to do that in a little while, but you could uh, uh, get your hands on this very book. But I asked you uh, if you have anything you would like to uh, to ask Mark about to get in touch. Uh, and, uh, Mark, thanks very much for uh, agreeing to take some calls this morning. We have one already. Uh, Alderson's in Darlington. Morning, Alderson. Morning, Will. Uh, now then, uh, you believe you may have had a near-death experience? Well, I'm, I'm 
110% certain I had. Okay, then tell us um, about it. What happened, I got uh, out of bed to go into the toilet um, about 7 o'clock one morning, 25th of July, 1995, and went to the toilet all right, so to come out of the bathroom and collapsed. And my wife came in. She was our next door neighbor to come and uh, help me get up. Now, while I was lying on the floor, what happened? Um, you had the doorway. On the right-hand side was the, the bath. Immediately in front and below the window was a wash basin. On the left was the, uh, the toilet basin. Now, my head was up above the door stencil, looking down on myself, and I was lying with my shoulders and head against the side of the bath, my hips and waist under the wash basin, and my legs were up on the wash basin, the toilet basin. Now, on my left knee, in the side of my left knee, I had a big red cross, a cross of St. George, and it was about, uh, I don't know, about an inch and three quarters wide, um, and they were about, I would think, around about four inches long. Now, I just, I, uh, eventually, my wife got a doctor, he came to me, shoved me into down in Memorial Hospital. Now, I went into the, the bathroom there, when I pulled my pajamas down, lo and behold, on my left knee, in the knee, was this big red cross of St. George. It, it must have been about four inches wide, you know, it, it was really a big one. Right. And that's the first thing, you know, but I was looking down on uh, from above the door stencil, down immediately on me lying below the wash basin. You know. Okay. Well, let's let's ask Mark. Um, does this sound familiar? What you're hearing there from Alderson uh, in terms of a, a near death experience? Yes, it does. Uh, hello, Alderson. Hello, Mark. Uh, you wouldn't say that that was a hallucination caused by your brain shutting. Well, I do. What happened? I was I was in a diabetic coma. Right. A diabetic coma. I see. Uh, but it was a very, very real experience for you, wasn't oh, it? Oh, that is 100% sure. Just as you were, you were talking now, just as you were here, yep. Yep. like that. So, so Mark, is that a, a common uh, thing? Is, is that something you, you would expect to find from somebody who's had a near-death experience? Is, is, that, is that a real vividness of the experience? Yes, it's very vivid, and you can distinguish uh, near-death experiences from general dreams like this because dreams tend to be haphazard and yeah. um, a lot of them are just projections from our subconscious whereas um, near-death experiences are real experiences you, you remember every little detail that's right every little detail so you'd be convinced then that Alderson uh, indeed is, is correct he, he's uh, th this was uh, a near-death experience that he did experience uh, back in 1995 I, I'm 100% certain it was yeah. Can I ask you, Alderson, um, was it, uh, looking back on it, is it something that was frightening? Was it comforting? How, how did it make you feel? I, I, I just wasn't worried about it. It didn't make any difference. To, it's just something which happened. I had, I had an even nearly one to death about uh, 52 years ago when I was coming back from Arif Man in Jordan, Arif Abandon, near Baghdad in the RAF. And I was hit by the Damascus Baghdad Express truck while I was on a three-ton lorry for the squadron. And 
myself and a lad called Jim Stockton, who lives in Stockton, he came from Stockton, um, and I was sat in front of the wagon while it was lying on the side, and the engine was just, the train was just starting to go past me, and Jim Stockton was about 10 yards behind me, and the only damage he did, he had a little cut on his left shin bone, and I had a, a ripped neck, and we got out of that. This was an express train, by the way, to mm-hmm. my sister Baghdad. You know, um, that was a bit more. But again, it, it, it never worried me that. But, but so, so um, Mark, if I can ask you, um, do you find that, uh, that that it is just something that happens, or can people react to these in different ways? Uh, react to to, to 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 near-death experiences can they be frightening things can they be comforting things or or are they like in alderson's case just something that happens well for most people they go through a bit of a revision of their system of belief um most people are not frightened by them um and they don't find them um, scary in any way uh, so that really is uh is surprising, I, w- I would say, to most people, because you know, if you're going to be out of your body, you you'd be frightened. But the near-death experiences is, it's almost like a, a, a tranquil effect for many people. Okay, well, Alderson, thanks very much for your call. Very interesting story. Uh, June joins us from Thornaby. Morning to you, June. Hi, June. Uh, no, we don't seem to have June. We'll come back to June. Uh, I think it was. Uh, June, the one who uh, wanted to ask us about a dream she was having uh, about her husband. We'll try and get her back on, because it's a very interesting story. Uh, we'll uh, we'll try and get June back, uh, because I believe uh, she was having uh, a recurring dream about her husband who died last year, uh, and it was a, a particularly interesting one, because um, she was um, having a dream, or she has a dream, where she knows it's her husband, but for some reason or another his his face isn't there. She can't see his face. Um, is, is, is that something uh, that, that you're able to... Uh, to ascertain something from Mark? Yes, uh, there's a process which takes place with death um, after the near-death experience and uh, what she's seeing is, well, she's obviously attached to her husband and this uh, this split between consciousness, you could say what's the real person and the personality, which are the memories and, and all that, that takes place, and so what she's seeing there is is a personality, but it's devoid of consciousness, okay. as we would say. So that's why there's no face. Okay, I think we have June with us now. Uh, June, hello. Good morning to you. Now, Good morning. Um, we've just been talking a little bit about your case because I, I, I gather you you have a, a, a dream about your husband, yes. uh, in which you can't see his face. That's right. Uh, so we've yes. just been talking a little bit about uh, what that means, but maybe you could fill us in on the actual details of of this dream. Uh, well, I've had a, I've had it a couple of well, not the same one, but I've had a couple of dreams. Uh, the one I had was about a couple of days ago, and I was in bed, and I I turned and I thought I saw him, and he seemed as though he was in the bedroom, but he was climbing, and he had a dark coat on, but I couldn't see his face. And then I had another dream um, a while ago. Uh, we were in the car, and we come to this road, and he said, "Oh, this is the end of the road," uh, and there was water. And he went towards the water, and then the next thing I knew, uh, he he was laying in the water in the nude. Okay, then, Mark, <laughs> there's a bit bit more detail to go out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what what is seen are two things. One, 
the, this personality, or what we call it, ghost of a person. That you feel the presence in a room and, and so on. Uh, secondly, then, there's a symbology involved in the different dreams. And uh, to, to be in a car is, is your sort of life together, really. Um, how you, you work through life. Yes. And uh, the water then has other meanings because it's effectively that he's moved on. And, um, yeah, well, you, you wouldn't see his face because his consciousness is moved on. Right. But, yes. uh, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of memories and so on, and, and that's what's coming back. But it's, yes. these things are happening for you to understand that the people do move on as much as there's love and everything. Yes. You know, we, we're here for a time. If we were to stay stuck in time, we, we wouldn't be able to move forward. We right, yes, yes. I, I, I did see his, his face um, a couple of uh, days after he died. Um, I, I could swear I wasn't dreaming, but I, I may have been. And I just turned my head on the, to the pillow where you on the side of the bed where he used to sleep, and he, I could just see his face, and he had the most wonderful smile on his face as though he was so happy, and there was just like a bright light shining on him. There you Very are. bright light. You see, in that time... That, that split, what I was saying, between the, the personality or the ghost and the consciousness may not have taken place yet. And so he can, he can come back to give you a kind of a message. Yes. And, you know, you can feel that message, and it's a positive one. That's, good. That's really good. Okay, then, June, uh, I hope that uh, helps uh, understand uh, what it is uh, that you've been experiencing. Of course, uh, presumably, Mark, uh, th the, these dreams uh, can be particularly vivid when they are to do with uh, a, a recently lost loved one because, uh, obviously, the, the brain is doing uh, funny things. It's working over time uh, because you have all these uh, emotions. You, Somebody, particularly in June's case there, uh, where, where they've been used to having somebody around physically for such a long time it takes a lot of getting used to uh, to suddenly not have them around and and uh, and they can um, maybe see um things very vividly in that way in dreams we have to be able to distinguish between uh, things which are projections of our subconscious which as you say someone has uh, just died and we think about them a lot and things which are events which are taking place um, beyond the body and you'll only really know uh, the difference between the two by being out of the body and by studying psychology to learn how the subconscious works and how it projects these these images which is presumably something that, that uh, links in very closely with what you're doing. We've uh, got some really interesting stuff this morning. Uh, Elaine joins us from Stokesley. Now, I won't pretend to understand what on earth this means. Uh, I'm told that you've had three precognitive dreams in sepia. Um, you'd better explain what that means. That's right. Um, hello, Mark. Hello. Um, yes, I've had, a, I've had three dreams. The first one I didn't take much notice of, but it did culminate in a bit of a traumatic time. But the second one uh, was absolutely horrendous when I look back. Um, I, I, I dream in sepia in these dreams, uh, just like an old black and white photograph. And um, it was the night before my husband died. And they always happen either early in the evening as you're going to sleep or early morning. 
um, as you're waking up, you know, just in that half half time. Yep. And um, the one before my husband died, um, I dreamed of a sea, and there was a figure standing with his arms up, and the figure had a long robe on, and then it just disappeared into the sea. Now, that same night in the early hours of the morning, the next morning, my husband died beside me in bed. Mm. And, hello? Yes, yes. <laughs> right. And the second time, um, it was about four months later, and it was early morning, and I had an amazing dream of my grandfather, who's been dead for over 50 years, and that was the morning one. And I, I actually was so scared that I went next door to my neighbour after I got up because I could still see him. And um, the same evening, I got a telephone call to say that my last uncle had died. You know, have you heard of anything like this before? Yes, it's quite common. Oh, good. <laughs> you can often get these um, almost premonitions of people mm. who are going to die and things like that. You can know precisely that someone is going to die virtually. Right. Virtually to the day. Yeah. Um, you're dreaming in this sepia, uh, almost black and white colour because... Well, it's brown and white. It's just brown. like a real old-fashioned photograph. Yeah, it, it um, represents fear or some sort of a uh, dread almost. Oh, right. That's, that's a kind of a fear of death, a fear of um, the unknown and all that. Mm -hmm. That's why they're not coloured. Right, right, because I never have, but normally if I dream, I haven't dreamt, for, well, I can't remember dreaming for a while, but normally if I dream and I can remember it, it's usually been in colour or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But in this case, it's, it's very specifically uh, a fear thing. Uh, I, I guess, um, again, this is uh, something you, uh, you you seem to uh, kind of uh, straight away, you, you seem to think, oh, yes, th this is very definitely something. Is this kind of dream then uh, of a, a very common uh, type of dream that you come across uh, in your work, Mark? Yes, very common. Um, there are lots of uh, premonitions about death that, that people have. These are very, very common all around the world. Uh, the, the thing is, is to how to understand how can these things happen? How can you possibly get the premonition that someone is going to die? Because you, you have to say that, that it seems extraordinary. It seems out of the, the realms of uh, the kind of the way we know the world to work, if you like. It seems an extraordinary thing. That's right. Logically, scientifically, anyway, rather, yeah. there's no explanation for it. And yet it happens quite commonly. Obviously, there's something else going on, something else that we need to look into. And uh, this is why I say out-of-body experience is so important, because you can look into these things and you can remove that fear of death and the fear of the unknown, because you begin to explore the unknown. So where do you go in terms of trying to prove this and explain it? Well, uh, presumably that's a large part of your work, is really striving to um, justify, explain, prove uh, what it is that you're doing and, and what it is that you uh, are trying to uh, explain to everybody, really. Yeah, because if you, if you don't find out, you've got to just have a sort of a belief in the future, belief in death, whether it exists or not. Um, but if you can find out, it's a huge thing, really, really huge. So that's why I think it's important that the people look into this much uh, deeper, much further. The thing is, though, it is actually provable. You can 
you can do something about it. It's not like you're, you're left redundant with science just saying there's no way of proving it. You can prove it. You can prove it throughout the body experiences. And then what you can discover is actually amazing. It's a whole new world that opens up. And then you can look into the different religions and you can see and understand the symbology. You can understand the meanings in it. But in a real way, in a, in a kind of a scientific way, in a sense, because you're, you're becoming the, the experiment for yourself. I mean, if we face death, we face it ourselves. We face it alone. It's an experience which happens to us. And life as well is an experience that happens to us. So it makes sense to, to use our life to explore these things, explore life itself, the fabric of it, how it works. And it is possible. It's, it's kind of hidden within religions and, and myths, but the actual techniques are, are available to anybody. It's fascinating stuff, and we've had uh, a very interesting response uh, with some, some some very interesting experiences that the uh, people have had uh, this morning. Uh, thanks very much for uh, for taking the calls and uh, and helping people explain what it is uh, that they've uh, dreamt or they've experienced. And uh, uh, like I say, we have a couple of copies of the book uh, which we will give away. It's called A Course in uh, Astral Travel and Dreams. Mark Pritchard, thanks very much for joining us this morning on the show. Thank you, Will.